God bless you. Please be seated. Yeah, I like that song, In My Father's House. I hadn't heard that one before. And you know what? I was, I th- was thinking as we were singing it that if you wanted to be in the Father's house before Jesus Christ, you had to go to Jerusalem. That's what be. You want to be in the Father's house? Great. It's on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Not anymore. It's wherever you are. Your house dedicated to the Father. It's a wonderful thing. You know, I was thinking, God is severely misunderstood. How many, how many of you have ever been misunderstood? Okay, yeah, we got a lot of hands floating up there. Nobody likes being misunderstood. God is greatly misunderstood. Many people, they understand, okay, God's the creator, God is powerful, and God is the rule maker. That's how, that's how people look at God. They think of God in terms of he's up in heaven with his super brain thinking up rules to make my life difficult. That is just not God. You know, the, and the last two weeks, we've looked at the two greatest commandments in Scripture. Now, that's not Bob's opinion that they're the two greatest. They're not Bob's favorite verses. These are what Jesus Christ said are the first and great and then the second great commandment. And that is that we are to love God. And Garrett shared with us about what that looks like to love God. And then to love others. So the two greatest commandments are not thou shalt not. The two greatest commandments are thou shalt. And what we shall do is love. And I want you to think, what would it look like if we as a people, if you as an individual, if you loved God and you loved people, what would happen next? You'd serve. That's how God has designed it to go. We're going to cover this morning serving the world. We've been focusing on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. People are disciples of a lot of things today. They don't always use that word, but they might be fans, devotees. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is an apprentice, someone who wants to live the way Jesus Christ lived. But what does it look like? What does that look like? And it looks like love. That's what it looks like. It looks like love. And we wanted to give you the big picture. This is the big picture of where we're going as individuals, where we're going as a church. We want to be people that love God, that love other people, and that serve the world. What does that look like? How do I leave here this morning and have it look that way? This morning, we finish with serving the world. That's third for a reason. You have nothing to serve if you don't have love. We love God. We love people. Now we can serve the world. And without love, there is no true service to either God or the world. That's got to be our motivator. Love motivates us to serve. Now, people get motivated by other things. Fear motivates people. Ambition motivates people. Hunger motivates people. But what God wants to motivate us is love. Love is what motivates God. Take a look at John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What was his motivation? Why did he choose to give his Son for us? Because he loved. That's why. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, love 
if it's not followed through with action, if it's not followed through with service, that's not love to God. See, sometimes God defines things differently than we do, okay? We want to get to, what does God mean when he talks about love? He's not, God doesn't mean an emotion. God means a motivation. God means valuing others, as greater than yourself. That's, what, that's how God loves us. Stephen took the, looked at that last week, that we are to esteem others as greater than ourselves. That's a big step. You know, it's one thing to say, oh, well, you know, Joe, you have intrinsic value. You're a good person. As a human, you have value. And that's correct. As humans, we have value. So I'm, I'm recognizing Garrett has value. Stephanie has value. But do I take it to God's level where I value you more and above myself. That's what God's talking about. But look at 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. You know the old saying, talk is cheap. It is. God wants us to show our love by how we engage the world. So how do we go about serving the world? What does that mean? What does that look like? What is God talking about? Let's see how Jesus approached this. Remember, we are disciples of who? Jesus Christ. How did Jesus Christ serve the world? How did he go about his life? How did he view his life? Well, let's start when he was young. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49. These by, this is the first recorded words of Jesus Christ. The very first recorded words. Now, he's 12, so obviously he used other words before this. But these are the first ones that God chose to record. And... Here's the setup. His parents took him to Jerusalem for the Passover. And after the Passover feast, his parents, they all caravaned back then. So they went out and they started to go back up toward Nazareth. Jesus stayed behind in the temple to continue learning. So his parents, and you might think that they were poor parents. It's not like leaving him at a gas, at a truck stop, okay? That's not what this was like. The way they traveled in caravans, he was a child. He had, at 12, he was not through the age of the bar mitzvah yet. So he was still a child. He could have been traveling either with the women or with the men. So it would be easy for Joseph or Mary. He's always with Mary, always with Joseph. It's not like always in the back of the car. So they, they come back. Can you imagine Joseph and Mary in this setup? It's like, oh, man, we lost the Savior. This is not good. <laughs> this is not a good day. <laughs> How are we going to explain this? So they, they go back to Jerusalem. And they start looking for him, and they find him in the temple listening to the teachers and asking them questions. And when, he, when they come to him, here's what Jesus says. He says, why did you seek me? Now, he's not saying, why were you caring about me? Why did you seek me anywhere but here, is what he's talking about. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This is 12. And why did God choose these words? These are the first words recorded out of the mouth of Christ. Why? Nothing else is known about Jesus for another 18 years until he's 30. Right here at 12, God records these words. Even at this young age, Jesus Christ understood what he was about. And what he was about was his father's business. That was his mission. He pursued it. 
That's our mission today, to be about our Father's business. But what is our Father's business? Again, Jesus Christ identifies that for us, this time as an adult in ministry. And this is in Luke chapter 19. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus did not show up to judge and criticize the lost. He chose to seek and to save. This is how Jesus was about his father's business. It's how you and I can be about our father's business. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples pray, they asked him, which was not an unusual question. The disciples of John had asked John how he prayed. That was very common if you were attached to a rabbi, to a teacher, to ask, okay, how do you do this? That's why they were a disciple of John or a disciple of a rabbi. They wanted to understand how they related to God. So Jesus' disciples asked him, well, how should we pray? One of the things that Jesus said to pray for, one of the components, was to pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. Because of Jesus Christ, God's kingdom is now open and it welcomes all comers. God's will is that we help people become a part of that kingdom so that they can enjoy what we already have. What we have is not to be hoarded, it's to be given away. This is a major part of God's business. You want to know what God wants for the world? It says in 1 Timothy 2.4. In 1 Timothy 2.4 it says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what his desire is for all people. You came to a knowledge of the truth because somebody talked to you about it. That's how. That's how everybody gets to a knowledge of God and his son. Someone else talked to them about it. Maybe it was your parents when you were a young child. Maybe it was a friend when you were a teenager. Maybe you came as a 50-year-old adult to Christ. But somebody talked to you. And here's how this service is described in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is from the New Revised Standard, except that's not what's up there. So you listen to me read it, because the love of Christ doesn't control you. That's not a very good translation. God doesn't control. You are not a puppet for Jesus. It says, for the love of Christ urges us on. That's what the love of Christ does. It urges us on. What motivates people? What, sh- what, God, what God wants to motivate you with is love. I know Christians that are motivated to share their faith because they're afraid they're going to go to hell if they don't. That doesn't sound like motivation by love. We are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. What Paul recognized, what he's communicating here is, okay, the world is dead. You know what the world's problem is? The world's problem isn't that they sin. The world's problem is they're dead. And that's a big problem. Jesus Christ brings life. Verse 15, and he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. We don't live for ourselves. And that's very different than the way we were raised. Living for yourself is what we were trained to do growing up. That's what the world trains us to do. It is selfish. And a selfish life is a prison. Selfish life is a prison. And it's a prison of idolatry. You know who the idol is? You are. You are the idol when you live for yourself. 
We don't think of it like that. It's not like I have a picture of Bob in my living room that I pray to. But when you are selfish, you are serving yourself. You're the idol. And, but you know what the, the tr- sad truth is? Serving yourself is not even possible. It's not even possible. You know, Bob Dylan, you might re- remember Bob Dylan from the 60s when I started listening to him. He became a Christian in the late 70s. And he wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. It actually won a Grammy, which is astounding that a song about God actually won an award. And, uh, you know, the Christian Music Awards have been in light because the world wouldn't recognize good Christian music. But Bob Dylan, I get, you know, his, this song became a Grammy winner. And the tag, you got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Self wasn't one of the options because when we serve ourselves, we're really just serving the disguised will of the adversary. So if you focus on yourself, which is what people do, you won't have time or interest in others if you focus on yourself. When you focus on, people focus on what they can get for themselves. There is nothing of value. There's no possession that you can receive that is going to fulfill you. The easiest way to look at that is Christmas morning for a five-year-old. Okay, they get the gifts that, you know, the G.I. Joe that they've wanted all along, the little princess, the frozen doll, whatever it is. They've gotten it. They're excited. Two, three days later, we don't even know where that toy is anymore. Because possessions, things that you acquire for self are not going to fulfill you. They might make you comfortable for a season, but they're not going to fulfill you. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. That's what it means according to the flesh, from a human point of view. We once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, all Christians are in Christ. There is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, new things have come. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. That's what Jesus was talking about. The Son of Man came but to seek and to save those that are lost. Another way to describe that is to reconcile those that are lost, to reconcile to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The word ministry there is just a fancy word for serve. So you want to serve the world? What do we serve the world with? Reconciliation to God. Because that's what people need. When they're reconciled to God, other things fall in shape. If you try to only address the other things, their lives aren't going to fall in shape. But we do have to, sometimes we do have to address those other things before we can get to someone. If a person is struggling with serious alcohol or drug addiction, we can't just ignore that. We want to help with that. But we know that ultimately the help is through Christ. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. See, God isn't just out there keeping score. He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And here's verse 20. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. That is a high and lofty position. People jockey themselves to be the ambassador of the United States to another country. Because that is a high position to be an ambassador. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. When you're an ambassador, you bring the message of your country to another country. We're bringing the message of the kingdom of God to the kingdoms of this world. And God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are disciples of Christ. And like Christ, you and I, we seek and save those who are lost. Serving the world is first and foremost helping them see recognize and accept Jesus Christ. But you know, this takes in, helping people accept Jesus Christ takes in more real estate than most Christians really understand. Serving the world is not just about going out and witnessing and telling everyone you see, oh, have you heard about Jesus Christ? That's part of it, but it's not all of it. It is meeting people with compassion rather than judgment. It's very easy to judge people. It's very easy to look down on people. It's easy to judge people in need. But instead, I want to look at people the way God does, as wounded children. That's how he looks at people. He's not in judgment. You know, for me, many times when I see somebody, I try, you know, an adult, I try to think about them as they were in 10th grade. And the reason I do that is because that was a time before the ravages of this world had beaten them down. It's kind of how I think of people. So that I can call them back to a place in their life when they weren't beaten down and ravaged by life. We know that the thing that people need the most is Jesus Christ. He's the open door to any solution to any problem that men and women might have. But sometimes people are so consumed with their immediate situation, their immediate problem, they can't even listen about Christ. So what do we do then? Well, we'll just move on. Hopefully, maybe next week I'll circle back to you. You'll be in a better place. No, that's not what we do. (laughs) What do we do when people are in that situation? We don't just move on. Compassion doesn't just move past people. Allow God to show you how to help somebody get to Christ, which may have some intermediate steps before you lead them into the new birth. Christians kind of swing between two, two unnecessary extremes. You know, people like extremes. Answers are always easier on the extreme. But you know what? They're seldom right on the extreme. They're just easier. One extreme that Christians tend to embrace is what is called the social gospel, meaning helping people with their physical need is the ultimate work of God. The other extreme is to consider that only getting people born again and coming to fellowship, that's the ultimate work of God. Why do I have to make a choice? Why is one exclusive of the other? Why do I need to make a choice? Christians don't need to make a choice. The Christians who helped overturn slavery, both in the United States and in England, they were Christians who didn't feel they had to make a choice. They did both. They helped 
overcome slavery. And of course they wanted these freed slaves to become Christian. Obviously that's what they wanted. But they didn't feel that they had to make a choice. They felt they could do both. We can do the same. Now I know that ultimately you cannot truly help the needy without Christ. You can alleviate a certain amount of immediate suffering, but you're not going to give long-term help and deliverance without Christ. But what's wrong with loving people even if they don't express any interest in God? What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. It's what Stephen was covering last week. We love people. Not just the people like us. People. That takes in a lot of territory, doesn't it? What's wrong with helping to ease someone's burden? You know, Jesus said God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Can you imagine if he only sent it on the just? That'd be one way to recognize who's not a Christian. Eh, it's not raining on your lawn. There is an interesting parable in the Gospel of Matthew. It's in Matthew 25. It is rarely taught. It is rarely looked at. And I understand why people don't usually look at this parable because the overall topic of the parable is the last judgment. And for one thing, that's not about Christians. It's about Jews or Gentiles. So it's not about us necessarily. But it has a great truth in there about what God values in our lives. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. You want to read about this? Revelation chapter 20. Let's go to the next verse. It says in verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, not the Christians, but the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then in verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right, but his goats on the left. In the times of the Bible, the right hand was the hand of blessing, and the left hand was the hand of cursing. You know the word sinister? The word sinister comes from left-handed. That's just how they viewed things. That was their picture. So, I want to be on the right hand, right? Which you, of course, already are. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, why was this kingdom prepared for them? Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when exactly did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? I, they're like, I don't remember any of these things, Jesus. I mean, I'm glad you appreciate them. I just don't remember doing that ever, anywhere. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. That's how Christ did it. When he looked at it. You do it to the least, the people most undeserving. 
That's who he's talking about. When you do that to them, it's like doing it for Christ himself. So how can we serve others? What are we going to do to serve others? We serve the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But serving others in other ways, it's not about handouts and welfare or any other political solution to the ills of men. This is where Christians sometimes get off track. They tie into there's political solutions to the problems of men. No, there aren't. There's spiritual solutions to them. It's about people who love God, who love one another, who are willing to go out and serve the needy. Look at Galatians 6.10. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, as you go about your day, let us do good to everyone. That, that's, I don't think you can get much broader than that. Let's do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Ask God how you can do this. Ask God how you can be about his business, which is to help the lost find Christ, to have compassion on people along the way. I want to close with a quote from John Wesley. Many of you have probably heard of him. He started the Methodist Church in the late 18th century. He was a tremendous influence for God in both England and the United States. Well, actually, he wasn't an influence in the United States because we didn't exist yet. He was, an exi- he was a great influence for God in England and in the colonies. He started a wonderful revival. And here's what he had to say. Let's take a look at this quote. It says, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. I believe that kind of captures God's heart for serving the world. Look for opportunities to bless one another with the good news of Jesus Christ, with prayer, or even with a smile and a kind word. So I'd like you all to please stand. We're going to pray together. Then Jen and uh, Jess and Glenn, not Jen and Gless, no, Jess and Glenn <laughs> are going to come up and minister to us again. So, Father God, we thank you for this day to be alive. We thank you that you have called us to be your ambassadors. You allow us to serve you on the highest of levels. That you have commissioned us with the good news of everything that you did in Christ. You've committed that to our care. You've given us a ministry, a service to the world. And I pray, God, that you would open doors for us to help others see who you really are. I ask you, God, as we leave here today and we go about our week, that you open up opportunities for us to pray for people, to speak to people, to love people, and at all times to have compassion for them. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.